Temperatures and sea levels are rising. Species are disappearing and so are parts of our own communities due to more severe weather patterns. Will we sit by and watch or will we take action? Folks, these are tough times. Welcome to Tough Times with Lou Young on AM 1700 WRCR and WRCR.com. I am George Patanovic sitting in for Lou Young this week with my special guest, civil rights and constitutional law attorney and principal at Sussman & Associates in Goshen, New York, Michael Sussman. Welcome, Michael. Hello, George. Great to be here. <laughs> okay. Great to be in the studio. And we're also here with Kevin Thomas behind the board. Uh, how's it going out there, folks? <laughs> We're here to talk about environmental activism. Does it really matter? And I'm looking forward to our discussion. But before we do, let's take a walk into the big machine. All right. Well, there seems to be lots of uh, red lights blinking here. Uh, Lou seems to know a lot more about this in these dials than I do. Uh, I wish he was here, you know, to take a look at them. Oh, where's I'm Lou? Here. Oh, I'm here. Lou is here. Whoa. Yes, I, I just had an alarm go off on my phone. Since somebody was in the big machine, I both headlocked it. It's me, Lou. I'm stealing your big machine. Come get it back. I can't believe you guys just walked in there. I mean, that wasn't part of the deal. Yeah, it was well, unlocked. You left the it door was... open. <laughs> Kevin, did you did you forget to lock it? Yeah, don't listen uh, to him. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, he forgot. Mistakes happen. All right, all right. In any way, in any event, the dials are self-explanatory. There, up on the left is nitrogen. That uh, Doctor Doctor uh, Naim told I can hardly breathe. Ago. Yeah, and uh, uh, you know, and then you got to watch the. The CO2, he said, not to worry as much about the methane. I was more worried about the methane. He says it doesn't last as long. And, of course, the big dial over uh, on the far right, lower right there, that's um, that's uh, uh, temperature increase, and uh, and it doesn't look good. So there you go. It's right. really hot in here. <laughs> All right. Wait, anyway. wait. I see, I see a video of a speech by uh, the 18-year-old Swedish climate activist, Greta Thunberg, uh, from the uh, Youth for Climate in Milan back in, se in September 2021. That's right, that's right. Well, you, you're looking at a, a time warp uh, uh, deviator there. You need to swing it over and, and view that, that speech live in real time uh, through, the, through the time warp. That's oh. how it works. Oh, okay. All right? Right. Anyway, guys, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Michael, good to, good, to, good to see you again, man. Take care of things over there, will you? I'm, I'm working with George. George is trying to find something, but I, you know, I don't know if I can save him from himself. Have a great day, Lou. <laughs> yeah, all right. And, 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 and before we go, activism is what it's all about. You, and activism means you, you, uh, you, you want action. You, do, you, know, every, you know, too many people just feel that they say the right thing, then they're covered. You got to do the right thing. That's all right. right. You got to be involved. You got to do the right thing. All right, Lou. Thank you. All right. Thanks, take Lou. care, guys. All right. All right. Bye bye. Have a good show. Bye bye. This is not about some expensive, politically correct green act, bunny hugging, or blah, blah, blah. Build back better. Blah, blah, blah. Green economy. Blah, blah, blah. Net zero by 2050. Blah, blah, blah. Kevin. This is all we hear from our so called leaders. Words. Words that sound great, but so far has led to no action. 
Our hopes and dreams drown in their empty words and promises. Of course, we need constructive dialogue, but they've now had 30 years of blah, 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 and where has that led us? But, of course, we can still turn this around. It is entirely possible. It will take drastic annual emission cuts, unlike anything the world has ever seen. And as we don't have the technological solutions that alone can deliver anything close to that, that means we will have to change. We can no longer let the people in power decide what is politically possible or not. We can no longer let the people in power decide what hope is. Hope is not passive. Hope is not blah, blah, blah. Hope is telling the truth. Hope is taking action. And hope always comes from the people. Okay, so um, Michael, um, it's great that you're here. I'm happy to see you and, and, and have a chance to speak with you. Um, uh, Greta says that uh, hope comes from taking action, from telling the truth, and that it always comes from the people. And, and we're here this afternoon to talk about activism and whether it really matters. Um, your thoughts on this and your, your involvement over the years as, as both an attorney and, and, and representing people who speak out and, and exercise their First Amendment rights, as well as on your own uh, in terms of issues that are important to you. Uh, I'd like to get your view on, on what, what key role activism plays in the, in the process of between government and business and, and the people and, and, and how, how important is activism. Well, first, you have to define activism uh, in some meaningful way. Lou, Lou gave a definition in his own way. We talked about being active, doing something other than speaking. Um, I think activism for me, especially in this time, post-pandemic or still in the middle of the pandemic, depending on who you talk to and what their situation is, really involves bringing people together. That's the first step. The first step, you can have a vision of an issue that's of concern to you, but as an activist, what you have to do is you have to connect with other individuals. I'm not talking now as a lawyer. I'm talking about someone who spent the last 50 years primarily as a civil rights and more lately in my career as an environmental activist. But for the longest time, I was an anti-war activist, a civil rights activist, up through the time the Patriot Act passed in 2002 and three, I gave 30 or 40 lectures around this region on the Patriot Act and its dangers and, and you know, did all sorts of organizing at West Point with yes. regard to the wars and many people listening may have joined some of those. But the point is I've been working on a range of issues. So first you have to have a definition of what matters to you, what, what's important. Why is it important? And be able to articulate what's important and why it's important. But then you have to outreach to other people who could be natural allies and, and be flexible enough to work with them and listen and develop together a formulation which can, can if you will, be broadly broadcast. <laughs> it doesn't help to do it in your bedroom. This isn't about that. This is about communication. And it's about convincing individuals that what you're saying makes more sense than the status quo. Mm -hmm. Activism is in reference to something. It's in reference to a set of situations which exist that you think could be altered for the better. Mm -hmm. So you have to have that, that optimism, that yes. energy. And the other thing is you can't be easily discouraged. You have to understand that you're, you're proceeding against something that's in place. Hegel said, the great German philosopher, what's real is rational. I believe that. What's real, what's in place, has a logic. It's not that it's just here randomly. The question is whether something else could replace it with a different and better logic. 
So that's really what you always have to keep in mind. And then you have to be able to change strategies. You have to have a strategy, mm -hmm. but you can't be so wedded to it that you're so orthodox and simply say, this is it, this is the only way we're going to accomplish this. The other thing is you have to be strategic. And what that means is know who your allies are, how far those allies are prepared to go with you, what compromises you can take to make things better and continue your momentum. I remember in the 1970s when I worked at in Massachusetts for a group called Fair Share. We were working on utility rate issues. Utility rates were skyrocketing. Now we wanted utility rates to come down you know, 200%. Well, the first year we got them down 60%. That was a great victory. If, if we said to people, if, unless it's 200% or nothing, we'd look like idiots. We had to say that's a great victory. And by doing what we did, we got there, let's do more. Right. In other words, define- You have to recognize your accomplishments. That's right. And uh, define them positively and give people a sense that by involving themselves, they can make a difference. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot written in economics about people who sit on the sidelines and benefit from other people's activism of, of various sorts. And what you have to do is make people, it's called the logic of collective action. That's the name of the work. And what you have to do is give people the feeling that they'll get something by participating. It's not just the end result, it's the process. Yes. It's the friends you make. It's the times you have together. It's the, it's the discussions, it's the synergy. The camaraderie. The yeah. camaraderie, yeah. exactly. And that's something in and of itself that's a value. So there's so much to this subject, it's very rich. It's a very rich subject. And the same principles, frankly, apply. Now, let me just make one final introductory comment, and this is the, the following. I've worked as a lawyer for many, 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 many groups, whether it's the NAACP in Yonkers, the Legoland struggle up in Orange County, and in scores and scores in between all around the country. And what I can say is this, and I feel this pretty definitively. When people hire lawyers, what they cannot and should never do is take a side spot and say, okay, now the lawyer's involved, I can go to sleep. A lot of our movements have foundered on that very phenomena. People hire a lawyer, and they think the lawyer's going to do all that's the work, the answer, yeah. and that's the end. In Yonkers, we had very, very vibrant activism towards civil rights in the 1970s, starting in the late 70s into the 80s. We started the lawsuit against in Yonkers in 1980-81. And gradually, in the next 10 years, the community agitation, which fueled the lawsuit, and gave the lawsuit its juice, dissipated. It's hard to keep it going sometimes. Yeah, but the lawsuit victories should have been momentum drivers right. for those, those who were running the organizations. That's but right. it worked the opposite way in many ways. Yes. They felt, okay, Sussman's doing it. No! And I used to scream and yell at them. I mean, this is going back 40 years. I've had a long career. And, and say to them, no, we need to continue. And I used to go to all the NAACP meetings and try to inspire people to stay involved and explain to them that their involvement, their setting the agenda, had allowed me to take legal steps. Yes. But that was hard, hard message for people to hear. Yeah, I agree. I understand. You know, and keeping that momentum going and, and keeping people interested in it over the long term sometimes is difficult because they have lives and all of a sudden other things come involved. And they have to see that long term commitment, as you mentioned, as being an important fuel to keeping the process going, you know. Well, and, and you have a great divide amongst activists. You yeah. have people on any given different issue who, for them, it is what they spend all their time doing. Yeah. And they can be criticized for that. They're obsessive. <laughs> they wear one issue. They're focused. They're yeah. this. They're that. But they, over time, keep that issue alive. And then at a critical moment, hopefully others can galvanize and mobilize around them yes. when they need that particular assistance. Yeah. So there's yeah. a kind of dynamic there that's important to understand. 
And, and most issues in our society, you know, look, look we can see the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever your position, again, on the issue, you can see what's happened on the part of those who oppose abortion. Again, there's been core groups all around the country who have for 50 years. And I mean, to, I don't agree with their position, but that doesn't, that's not the point. We're not talking about the specific position. We're talking about strategy. They have had a stick to and a purpose. And there are a few of them who've devoted their whole lives to this. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, at any given moment, when they go to march in Washington, for instance, you know, hundreds of thousands of others will come. But we have, you know, in many of the issues I do care about, lost some of that intensity of focus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's hurt us. Uh, we, uh, we have a caller, <clears throat> uh, Gordon Wren, from uh, the organization known as Coupon, has been very active across Rockland County, especially in Ramapo. Uh, Gordon, I'd like to welcome you. If you have some comment you'd like to include in the show, we, we'd love to ha- hear it. Hello, Gordon. Yeah, good afternoon. And uh, we, you know, Coupon is, uh, stands for Citizens United to Protect Our Neighborhoods. And mm-hmm. we with Rosa, as you know, George, and also the Legal Housing Task Force. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we, when we find things that are wrong, we go to the elected officials or appointed officials, and we get blah, 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 for the most part. <laughs> you recognize that, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm not kidding, though. We, you know, we're laughing. But from uh, on a federal level, a state level, starting, you know, the new governor's uh, remains to be seen. But under uh, Governor Cuomo and Pataki and uh, Cuomo's father, Mario, um, we got a lot of blah, 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 and uh, interference. And um, we have a lot of different uh, uh, departments and commissioners in New York State government. And invariably, um, when it came to enforcement, we brought to the attention, they, um, we found that the person was not enforced. The rules and regulations of laws were not enforced deeply across the state of New York. Um, now, now, Gordon, you come from this from a fairly um, administrative kind of a view. I mean, you were in firefighting for so many years, emergency services, um, and you saw the problems, but were not, at that time, I don't believe, as active as you are now in participating in the other side of trying to correct these problems. Uh, what made you do that? Or what was it that got you to, tra- you know, to, to make that transition from, from a person that people would see as, as part of the community as far as firefighting and emergency services go to then uh, taking a stand and speaking out against the issues that you uh, felt were, were needed, needed uh, correction? Well, years ago when I was fire chief, I was always scared to death of um, union companies coming and then having a line of duty death. You know, you know, um, people you know, friends, you know, like brothers kind of a thing. So um, and when I was fire coordinator and director of emergency services, I felt pretty much the same way, and it became apparent that we were sending our firefighters and other emergency services people into these buildings that do not meet code, and when we brought it to the attention of the municipality that had jurisdiction, they would not comply. Mm-hmm. So um, we formed, um, in, the, in 2009, when Scott Vanderhoff was the county executive, I came up with an idea uh, that became the Illegal Housing Task Force, and what we did is, with the county's blessing and uh, some state officials who were actually, you know, trying to do a good job at the time, but being told by the governor, Cuomo, and the secretary of state, you can't do your job across New York State, you know, fairly. So, to make a long story short, we reached out to the public. We said, if you know of any violations in your in your neighborhood, your building, or whatever, you call them in. You know, you can call them in anonymously at the fire training center. I had a clerical person who tracked them. 
and I would look at them and then send them to the uh, proper authority. And it's not always the building department. It comes to me, you know, multiple of agencies that have mm-hmm. jurisdiction possible violations. And then we tracked them. And we found over a period of a few years, we had several hundred complaints. We found that uh, certain communities did a great job. The inspectors took appropriate prompt action. The village or town attorneys were um, good prosecutors. The judges levied appropriate fines when, when appropriate, you know, heavy fines. If you put it, if you know, land, some landlords and others are putting people in danger, when our firefighters in danger and residents, we would um, we we commended them. Mm-hmm. Then we found the town of Rampo in five of its villages, which is now seven or eight. Um, the enforcement was not just poor; it was almost non-existent, uh, in my opinion, criminal. So we reached out to the media, and normally when the uh, officials expose, you know, some wrongdoing, like it reminds me of the uh, one of the big snowstorms. When uh, Mayor Bloomberg was mayor, and he was off on one of his islands during this big snowstorm, and there were streets in Queens and outlying areas of Brooklyn that didn't get plowed for almost a week, he made sure that uh, the sanitation department supervisors it never happened again. So we've reached out to the you know the local media, national you know NBC News, CBS News, um, and et cetera, and to no avail, ignore it because they people are protected at a high level in government. And um, despite us, you know, testifying at state senate hearings, reports being published that the town of Rampo is doing a lousy job, um, aside from the monitors being assigned to two out of the five uh, municipalities we complained about, which didn't work, by the way, you know. Um, and now the, the county taking over the village of Spring Valley, um, which is progress, but they had to be, you know, the state codes division is, and their commissioner and deputy commissioner are... Um, um, are guilty of not doing their jobs. Yeah, just so people know, you know, the, the story is the Spring Valley, particularly, I guess, has a n- numerous uh, violations that have been ongoing for many years, and, and Gordon and, and Coupon are trying to get the county now to address it through uh, alternative means. What was the change that happened once you made the change to the county? Was that the critical change, do you feel, or do you feel there's other things that made a big difference? Well, I think that it's a start. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I believe that Ed Martinez is doing a good job. Mm-hmm. They appointed him, and I think it was a really good appointment. I wasn't sure in the beginning, um, but I think he's doing a good job, and I think that what they've encountered is almost, it seems probably insurmountable, mm-hmm. at the level of, um, you know, the, the lack of adequate enforcement for decades is, is showing. It's going to take them years to dig it out of this hole. Right. And, and Spring Valley is just the tip of the iceberg. And it's really, it started in Rampo and spread to Spring Valley. Right. Now it's spread into um, Airmont, Chestnut Ridge, Pomona, New Hampstead, New Square, and Cater. These are all communities that are not enforcing the state fire and building codes. What I'd like to say, all, all these codes were passed, particularly the fire codes were passed because people died. Like in Chicago, um, we had a fire in the Bronx. Where mm-hmm. 17. Two days later, there's a new mayor of New York State, the governor of New York State, New York State standing in front of the building with other, you know, officials saying, oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it seems, just let me make one comment yeah. about what you're saying, Mike Sussman. I think that getting people to understand and accept the commonality of these codes and the need to enforce them generally runs directly up against certain cultural norms 
and every community you're mentioning has the same demographic, basically, and it's very obvious to me as an outsider to your county what those communities are, who inhabits those communities, and the fact is that they have a apparently different understanding of the centrality of the kinds of codes you're talking about. And they view the enforcement efforts that you're speaking about as persecutory, oppressive, harassing, discriminatory, etc. And they've created a barrier through litigation and other ways uh, of, of inf against enforcement. Mm -hmm. And that's how I look at this as an outsider. I've not represented any of those groups in those efforts, but I'm very aware of their mentality and how they view it. So, you know, sometimes activism, and you're talking, we're talking a bit, you're talking in great detail about your particular struggle, but really the activism piece comes up against the status quo. And here part of that status quo are cultural norms that do not agree with the nature of the enforcement that you, for instance, would like to see. And I think that's a struggle. I don't think it's going to end overnight. I don't think it's ever going to end. I think it's going to be an ongoing struggle. I'm going to just mention it. <clears throat> this is Tough Times with Lou Young on WRCR AM 1700, and I'm George Patanovic sitting in for Lou Young this week with my guest, civil rights attorney and constitutional law attorney Michael Sussman. Uh, if you'd like to join in the conversation, you can call in. The phone number is 845-429-1700. Um, thank you for calling in, Gordon. We appreciate uh, you know, your, your call. Uh, I guess well, I have one question for you I'd like to conclude with. Is, is Did you find that the legal angle on this ends up being the definitive. I mean, Coupon is known for hiring the, or, or raising enough money to actually hire a lawyer to, to fight these in the courts. Does that in the end, uh, aside from the activism involvement, does that end up becoming, in your view, the, the, the real answer to some of these issues in terms of zoning enforcement? And George, uh, that's a very good question. Um, it's sort of like um, we're the Native Americans and we just won Little Bighorn. That's what we do with our lawsuits. Yeah. But um, ultimately, if we don't address this globally, it's, uh, I think Michael Sutton raised a really good point. It's cultural, um, and it's very complex. You know, suspicion of authorities and, you know, inspectors coming into buildings. Um, you, know, it, it, you know, it's hard to explain to the uh, to outsiders. But um, we are stopping, like, in, if you're familiar with um, Patrick Warren, we, yes. we stopped that with litigation mm -hmm. through Rosa. We have uh, several lawsuits ongoing right now and other appeals. Uh, it's constantly having to raise money. But we're reaching out to the our federal representative. We've already addressed the letters to the governor, which he hasn't responded to. And the New York Times is doing a big story on it. And um, so eventually we're going to have the media reach out to uh, the press office for the governor to find out why she didn't respond to our uh, request for her intervention. Right. We're going to do the same thing with our federal representative. So... The letters are ready to go. We haven't sent them out yet. We're hoping the media will um, reach out to their people and chiefs of staff and have this get up on their radar. We need to challenge what's been taking place. We can't mm -hmm. keep going. I mean, more people are going to die. Mm -hmm. And the amount of money being stolen from the other taxpayers, you know, I brought a lot of this to Ed Day's attention. Right. A little bit of it has been um, um, acted on. Okay. You know, so the, basically the, the slum landlords are making tax-free revenue on the backs of mostly undocumented people who are afraid to go to the authorities to file a right. complaint. Right. And then when we take them to court, we're finding um, that uh, nothing happens. Okay. So, current. so you and I and Michael could go into business and buy some old buildings and mm -hmm. renovate them into room, illegal rooming houses. We'd become multimillionaires very quickly. Right. And the people that are in place to prevent this from happening, to enforce these codes, um, 
don't have the power. They're not. They're the backing of their own governments. And if they do, they get they get in trouble. Yeah. I'm going to need to let you go. We have another call coming in, but I appreciate the phone call, and this is obviously a story that's going to continue. But thank you very much, Gordon. Nice to talk to you, Gordon. Take care. I've been following you for years. Okay, thank you. Okay, we have another caller. Who do we have there? Who's on the line? Hello. This is George. Uh, who's on the call? Uh, George, it's Steve Leonardo. Hello, Steve Leonardo from Stony Point. How are you doing, Steve? <laughs> I'm doing very good, George. George, uh, I'm, <clears throat> I've been listening to both of you. It makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and I wanted to back up uh, the activism part that Michael had to say. Right now, uh, there is a man uh, who's traveling 30,000 kilometers as in, uh, to bring attention to dying soil. Now, this is something that uh, a lot of people are not talking about in climate change, is the soil. Yeah. And the soil is very, very important uh, because our food is dependent on it. The climate depends on it. Uh, Our water depends on it. So this this journey that this man uh, called Sadhguru uh, is traveling to 25 countries. uh, And he's bringing attention to all of the leaders of these countries. Now, if uh, some of our people uh, in this area see the green and blue signs says Save Soil, they can go on to savesoil.org, mm-hmm. learn all about it. Uh, this is a global movement. Okay. And uh, this is it's an incredible movement. Now, You're making an interesting point, though, if I can interject for a minute, and that's this. One individual can make an extraordinary difference, mm-hmm. and in terms of the nature of activism, this is an important, really important insight. We heard earlier from a young woman, you know, Greta Thunberg, right? And she galvanized many, many, many people all over the world, millions of people by her nature, if you will, yeah. by her individual act. The way she Ab- so so I, I mean we're not here to talk so much about specific issues as we are about the nature of activism but I think what you're pointing out through the discussion about the soil issue and this particular role the gentleman right. is playing is really significant to our conversation because so many people say what can I do yeah, right exactly, what can Michael, I do exactly right. what what difference now, is one person going to make exactly <laughs> yeah well I I tell you right now if uh, the listeners will go on to uh, ConsciousPlanet.org, they can write a letter, and, and uh, they, they have these letters that will go to uh, the president, uh, uh, Mr. Biden, mm-hmm. Kamala Harris, and our leaders, mm-hmm. and let their voice be heard, right, and that's ConsciousPlanet.org, okay. and it's write a letter. So uh, it's very simple to do. Right. It's right there. And it will bring attention to uh, the heads of our country, what activism people are doing in a good manner. Thank you, Steve. Not burning down countries. Right. That, that's right. Thank you, for Steve. Thanks for calling in. Good we appreciate it. Well, Steve. thank you very thank much, you. George. All right. Take care. Nice we'll be in touch. You. Thank you. Bye. Well, he brings out that point about individual uh, efforts. I mean, that's kind of, I think, I think in my own 
life of getting involved with activism, you have to believe optimistically, as Michael pointed out earlier, but also that an individual can make a difference, you know, working with others, and that you can actually have a voice. Oftentimes people feel that, oh, what's my one voice going to mean? You know, what's it, what's it going to, how much of a difference can I make? But you're pointing out that this, throughout history, there's been individuals who have stood up, uh, spoken out, worked well, with uh, others. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I could give you a couple of recent examples that mm -hmm. really typify the issue to me, and I know we have to go to a break, but right. in Orange County, there was a desire to close the nursing home, mm -hmm. which was a county-run nursing home, and there was mm -hmm. strong opposition to the closure of the nursing home. But in reality, the, the, the strong opposition was maybe 50 people in a county of 350,000 people. Yes. By magnifying the voices of those 50 people and universalizing their message, it sounded like the whole county was in favor of our position of keeping the nursing home. And we won. Yeah. One. So often it's not, you know, when you talk about one person, it could be a group of people that is mm -hmm. persistent and doesn't have to be that numerous. That's the bottom line. Get together 30, 50, 40 people, and you're going you're gonna to have a significant chance. Why? Because as you pointed out earlier, most people are not involved. No. Right. So there's a void, That's and you're right. filling the void, and even that number of people in a county of Rockland size or Orange's side could fill that void significantly. And then you find out there's other people out there that agree with you who thought they were all alone, that that's they didn't. Right. So that's, that's the big benefit Once it of starts the role. Yeah. Okay. okay, again, we're on WRCR AM 1700 and WRCR dot com. Um, with, I'm George Patanovic. I'm here with uh, I'm here in place of Lou Young, sitting in for Lou Young, <clears throat> with my guest, civil rights attorney and, and constitutional attorney lawyer uh, Michael Sussman. Uh, we're going to take a break, um, uh, and just uh, hold on one second. All right, we're just about to turn on some beautiful music. It'll be worth the while. All right, oh. this is uh, Ani DeFranco. Uh, simultaneously lives in two worlds. Freedom requires balance in the equation of a 
different worlds simultaneously and between them is a chasm unfolding unfathomably and in that chasm Ani DeFranco simultaneously and she talks about living in two different worlds. That's the way I feel sometimes, one between hope and one despair, and we try to remain positive and realize that we can affect change. So uh, I like that song. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a caller on the line, uh, Chief Perry from the Lenape Ramapo Nation. Mm -hmm. uh, welcome, Chief. Uh, thank you, thank you. Good day, Chief. How are you? Oh, good, good, good. Another beautiful day full of rain and sunshine. Yes, we need the rain too, right? Right. So we're interested in your take on the issue of activism. We're talking about environmental activism, why it's important, uh, what we hope that it can accomplish, uh, and, and how do you see the subject? Well, I think it's, it's one of, uh, uh, at this stage, it's, it's more than chronic in terms of survivability. I think in terms of humanity, tribal people, and all of us together, looking at our roots much further than, much deeper than, say, culturally, but as actually indigenous people, people that belong to the earth. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that we we have to view ourselves as guardians of, of the earth, guard, as part of nature, not the rulers over it. Mm -hmm. uh, what we do now in terms of the water and the air and the earth is, is uh, critical to our future survival. I don't think there's any question whatsoever. Right. Yeah, the science is there. You know, we had some guests on the show, and of course we hear it in the news all the time. The science is more convincing than ever that the climate change is, is we're not talking about something in the future. It's happening now. Uh, the question is whether, those, whether that science translates over to policy, uh, in government policy, but also action uh, on behalf of the people to get those policies enacted. And I think that's the big, big important part of that. Yeah, I think and I... I Go ahead, Chief. Sorry. No, I was going to say it seems that what's going on with the environment is exactly the same thing that's happening in a sense with politics. It's not left or right or up or down. It's It seems that economics has outweighed reality. Well, you know, I think the, the I think one of the issues that, that you bring to the table and indigenous people in general bring to the table is a sense of the consistency between the individual life the life the person lives, and how that manifests the, the values that the group holds. And I think for Native Americans, there's, there's always been a very strong sense of connectivity, as you just explained it, between individual lives and, and the earth, and, and the role that people play in that. 
mm-hmm. and that we're not the dominant, if you mm-hmm. will. We're, we're integrated into a broader whole. And I think that individuals live that way, one hopes, who have those values. I think the greatest problem that many of us have is, is living out our values. Many people say, this is the blah, blah, blah part, <laughs> that, that they agree with certain goals, but the way they live is in fact very contrary to attainment of those goals. Mm-hmm. So consistency mm-hmm. and finding structures that allow people to be consistent and, and express their values in their daily life is so important. And I think when you talk about economics, that's a lot of what drives people to be unable to synthesize their mm-hmm. values with their daily lives. You know, and it's, I think it's finding forms that allow us to do that that's critical to the next 20, 30 years. We see that we don't need to all go to offices every day. We see we don't need to be on the highway every day. We see we don't have to do a lot of things that have expended huge amounts of carbon, if you will, and contributed to global warming because they're not necessary. We can do a lot of these things virtually. We can do a lot of these things in other forms. And that should be a way of signaling that the way we've always done things is not the only way they can be done. Mm -hmm. Look at banking. Look at newspapers. Mm -hmm. Look at so many of our institutions that have radically changed just in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And many of those changes do have positive impact net on our use of resources, Mm -hmm. if you look at it positively. So I think... A lot of this is about how do we make consistency between values and forms of everyday life. And I think that you could teach us a lot about that, Chief. Mm -hmm. Well, I that sounds wonderful. (laughs) But uh, I I think a real major stumbling block for us is, is to not to understand the reality of the damage that we're doing to the earth and, and the environment and then Invertly to ourselves, I think the problem is that we, in general, we being the, the global family, are really kind of meek of spirit and a bit humble. And what I mean by that is, it goes through the whole genre of negativity. Loud winds. I would say, in general, no matter what I really, what the average person really feels about any particular issue, mm-hmm. if the other side is louder, we sort of give them a, a smirk and go like, um, "I don't want to deal with these idiots." Mm-hmm. The problem is that's empowering idiots. Mm-hmm. It's empowering them to do wrong environmentally. It's empowering them to manipulate the, yep. the find, you know, the physical position. Bully people too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that that for in a way is a beautiful inherited trait that that we as human beings have inherited. But mm-hmm. we must now find a means of showing our displeasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're and very right. I think you're, you're putting, you're making a really important point, which is that it's many people are adverse to conflict and mm-hmm. don't know how to face that conflict in those loud voices. Yeah. So they back away, leaving the playing field to those who have these agendas yeah. and sort of scaring the rest of us off. That's right. So you're, you're right. They're louder. <laughs> and, 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 you know, yeah. that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chief, going forward, uh, what are your views, uh, your perspective on what have we learned and what should we be thinking about going forward in terms of positive change? Well, I, I think we've learned quite a bit. There's any number of people from Mil- Bill McGibbon to mm-hmm. everyone, um, you guys, mm-hmm. uh, people all over the earth is, is standing up. I think what we've learned is, or what I'm hoping we've learned, is number one, we are all one and we are unified mm-hmm. as children of the Creator. Mm-hmm. And in order for us to continue to walk forward, we need to walk forward 
hand in hand, not watching someone else go. And if someone is actually loud and obnoxious, I don't know what it is. I think at the very least we should have the integrity to pull down the window shade. Mm-hmm. What's going now is we're we're constantly feeding a negative machine that's mm-hmm. impacting the earth mm-hmm. and all of us on it. So what can we do? I think this this show is the beginning of a lot of really good things, but we got to carry the initiative forward mm-hmm. and at least conversate to dialogue it in whatever forum we're in. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the other part that you're making in a different way is that everything is the instance. Anything is the instance of everything. Each right. one of the struggles is really a manifestation of everything. And sometimes we say, well, that doesn't really matter, but it all matters mm-hmm. because that involves people. And as long as it involves people, it matters. Mm-hmm. If exactly. we're going to take the position that everyone is created equally and that everyone values and matters, then we can't have any throwaways. There are no throwaways. And, and right and yeah, you know, we don't have to create enemies. Uh, but I mean, a, a common thing, and maybe uh, hopefully this is not too far out of line. But follow okay. me with this. Sure. The Earth right now is suffering from what we're complaining about: Russian oligarchs. We have American oligarchs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have European oligarchs. Mm-hmm. When a price point is more valuable than humanity, which it has been throughout humanity, mm-hmm. we have to stop and realize that at some point that is toxic. Right. Even if it benefits us in the short term, and that's another way to understand this, mm-hmm. over right. time it's not sustainable. And that, again, is a lesson that the indigenous brothers and sisters have been focused on. What's sustainable over time? Are we despoiling the earth, and as you say, the water and the air, in a way which we cannot continue to do? We should never have started doing it, but now certainly the lesson's been learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we are now at the tipping point. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it was only about a month ago they announced Lake Powell dropped 150 mm-hmm. feet, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and then exactly. we uh, we have some of our own people that just went up. Was in Canada just the other day with the Chippy, the yeah. the Champlain uh, Hudson Power Express. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's it's two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. We're destroying the earth in front of us. Mm-hmm. That's great and, stuff. Yep. And I think one thing is that there are more and more people. I don't want to sell them. We're not anti wealth. I think I want everybody to have a Rolls Royce. Because I'd like to have a Bentley, but I don't want you to run me over in your Rolls Royce because I don't have a car. Right. We all have to drink water. Mm-hmm. We all have to breathe, and and that comes back down to the economic question. Well, look, I know that from my class in law school, there were people making forty million dollars a year, and I remember at one of the reunions, the twenty fifth, confronting the gentleman who I'm thinking about. His name was Lloyd Blankfein. He was a friend of mine at Harvard. And then here he was running Goldman Sachs and making 40 or $50 million a year. And I remember saying to Lance at the reunion, Lloyd at the reunion, what, what do you need that for? Mm-hmm. What do you well, need that for? And, you know, this excess yes. and this sense of, self, of self-promotion, some of these things have to be radically altered in our culture. And we, we have to stop rewarding this. I think we have to have very high tax rates, honestly. You know, because if we don't do that, what it does is create the sense that this is appropriate. It's not appropriate in a world where we have so many people with so little. Well, you know what? Even with taxes, if the taxes were just equally distributed, I think it's it's obscene when you think, I'm over here washing dishes and working my heart out. You're getting your 27 Mm percent, and you've just made... uh, $30 $30 billion, yeah. and it's an offshore account, you ain't paid a penny. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no... You're using our roads, our electric, you're using mm-hmm. everything that goes with it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, uh, exactly. There's got to be, look, there's got to be progressive taxation. There isn't. 
And what you just explained is one of the major reasons why it's too easy to evade. But the fact is that the fact that people want to evade mm -hmm. is what I think we have to get to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's that instinct yeah, well, that we won't be fair. Everyone yeah, well, has to want to be fair. We've, we, I think it's been brilliant. It's like with the syntax. We've turned, we've turned this idea of greed into somehow macho. Mm -hmm. Well, we had a president who said, syntax, yeah, well, we, we had a president who said, yeah, I'll use every technique I can to gain my own wealth. Mm -hmm. I'll use bankruptcy code six times. I'll do whatever I need to do to no. feather my own, my own chest. Well, yeah. that's the mentality. And this is the point, I think, in terms of activism. That's the mentality that should be a call to the rest of us to say, wait a minute, that goes way too far. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Great to talk to you, Chief. Thank you for calling in, Chief. Well, let me give you guys one last invite before sure. you go. Uh, June, uh, I think it's going to be the 19th. I'll get you back with it. We're, we're reactivating uh, a portal with the with the Pachamama and the mommies from mm -hmm. uh, Colombia, uh, to hopefully to cleanse and to reactivate the water so that all of us can live. And at that point, it should be a bit of a global uh, ceremony. And I'd like to make sure you guys are included. Okay, okay. thank you. I will get back to you. Thank, thank each thank and every one of you. Yes, thank you. Take care, Chief. Bye-bye. Yep. Yep. Right. Ciao. It was great to hear from Chief Perry. So. Where are we, Michael? Well, you know, I think just in the, in the comments of a few wonderful people who've called in, mm -hmm. you can sense a certain commonality. Mm -hmm. And it is that there is a thing when we try cases, we talk to the juries and we say, please don't leave your common sense at the door. Mm -hmm. And there are some commonsensical things that everybody seems, in, in my view, to agree upon. Mm -hmm. One is you can't say we value each person but have the profound kinds of inequalities we have in our society because at the end of the day, that's not a way of, of valuing each person. It really isn't. And we also have to look, you know, I wanted to mention something personal, but just to make a okay, point. Sure. And, and it's an interesting point. I used to eat 100 grams of carbohydrates a day, at least, like many Americans do. And last Monday, I started eating a limit of 20. So I cut it by five, in, five times in one week. Okay, that's called the keto diet. Without promoting the diet or getting into it, I'm, I'm making a point. I was able at age 68, I'll be 69 in December, to radically change in, in literally overnight because I had the will to do it and wanted to do it my whole diet. We have to change mm -hmm. the diet, mm -hmm. literally mm -hmm. the consumptive diet mm -hmm. that we're engaged in. I'm not eating bread, I'm not eating potatoes, I'm not eating rice, I'm not eating fruit, which I used to eat incessantly, mm -hmm. juices, sodas, mm -hmm. all of a sudden cake, they're not in my diet anymore. I'm mm -hmm. not literally eating them. You made a choice. You make a okay. choice. And this yeah. is about intentionality, and that's mm -hmm. the point I am driving. Mm -hmm. You saw it immediately. Yeah. It's about intentionality. Right. We live very wastefully. Mm -hmm. Each of us, and I'm not yes. accepting myself. I, right. Until last Monday, I was eating very You're excessively. Good. You're looking very good, by Thank the way. Thank you. <laughs> it's just starting. But the point, the point I'm making is if we live with that intentionality, we can very quickly reverse if we can generalize it. And this is a very important point, general, generalizing things. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to do it yourself, but it's another thing to understand that mm -hmm. to be effective mm -hmm. in curbing resource destruction, mm -hmm. we have to, all of us make sacrifices, and they have to be shared, and they have to be intentionally made with a purpose. Mm -hmm. And there is a greater purpose here. Mm -hmm. And that's I, what we're talking about, right? right? The greater purpose. Yeah. And, you know, you, you talk to people, I've talked to people about individual change as a way to accept responsibility because people say, well, individuals are not going to make a big difference in the global climate change issues, but 
I think it does because people's attitudes see themselves as part of a solution. It, even if it's symbolic, there's a small percentage maybe in actual change that they're personally making, but many people making a small change can make, make a much larger change. That's right. and, and even more importantly, the attitude is we're all in this together. That is not your problem because oftentimes people yeah. are trying to let's point at let's point at the uh, oil companies let's point at this group or that group you know it's all we're all part of this. He, and here's I, here's the important uh, I think well that's very important yes. but here's the other part of this this is in part about leadership mm -hmm. okay and this is why it's about leadership a leader who sees the need for shared sacrifice is a very different kind of leader than leaders who always say, we're going to be more, we're going to have more in the next generation. We're going to have more than tomorrow. We're going to have more, more, more. American politics has been largely based on the notion of more, more, more being better. Mm -hmm. In a consumptive society where we're running crazy on our planet, less is better. Yes. Less is better. Mm -hmm. And what leader is prepared to say less is better? Mm -hmm. None. The closest we ever had to that was Jimmy Carter, mm -hmm. who I got to know very well as a young man, okay? But he, he came from a different tradition, a mm -hmm. farmer's tradition, mm -hmm. where he understood to some extent that less can be better. If I need to put less input into things, that might be smarter. The point I'm driving at is we need leaders who are prepared to say, in America today, mm -hmm. we are using too many global resources. Mm -hmm. And in order to change that equitably, we each, each, all, all and each have to make a contribution toward that. That's very politically unpopular. But here's my point. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's what the people need to hear. Maybe yeah. only 50% of the people ever participate even mm -hmm. in the most contested presidential election because they know that what's being said is a bunch of horse you know what. <laughs> Maybe if someone started telling them the truth, it would galvanize more people mm -hmm. to understand a common purpose. Mm -hmm. And maybe what we're lacking is a common purpose. Yes. And yes. as the gentleman said, it's not, Mr. Chief Perry said this, mm -hmm. it's not left, right, or otherwise. You right. know, climate change, COVID, they don't discriminate left, no. right, or otherwise. No. No. It's about what's in our common interest. Mm -hmm. So I think those are some points that have emerged here and we need to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, and that we're all in this together. You know, I, 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 uh, I think of the 70s when I was, when I was a young mm -hmm. person growing up and the music and everyone kind of was unified by the music and unified by a feeling that there was potential of working together. And today we live in a more divisive society where they're on one side or the other. And I don't like that. I talk about what uh, Ani DeFranco song, sang about in that song is living in two different worlds. I, I like the idea of us all thinking of it being part of some solution. And of course, leadership, as you mentioned, leadership is an important component of that. Um, because you need, you need a vision. Yes. And you need a common vision. Right mm -hmm. now what we have, look, one of the many problems with the, the, the 45th president of the United States, mm -hmm. and there were many, but mm -hmm. one of the many problems is that hatred mm -hmm. and division in our society never provide a solution to anything. Mm -hmm. That's the ultimate problem. Mm -hmm. If you base your politics on some form of supremacy or some form of exclusion or some form of hate, wh mm -hmm. where does it lead you? Mm -hmm. where, how, where do you go with that? Mm -hmm. It doesn't lead anywhere. So activism, in a way, is about inclusion. And that's an important point. When, when you speak out, and I said earlier, you have to be able to listen as an activist. Mm -hmm. You have to be trying to synthesize as much of the body politic as you can and forward an agenda which appeals to many, many people, mm -hmm. not just yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's about transcending division. It is, and it's a positive thing. You know, the word activist over the years, most people think of it as negative. Oh, you're an activist. You know, you must mm -hmm. be some kind of a radical. The fact is you're taking action, right? You're participating as a citizen. You're, you're trying to find a solution. You're taking time away from your day to participate in mm -hmm. this 
democracy that we say we live in. And I think that's an important component of, of people's willingness to to put that time in and say, look, we, we kind of all owe something together here to sort of try to work on our problems together and not call each other names right. or put other people down or use it as a way to, to create more divisiveness. But from a society which started as citizen politicians, if you will, of people who were activists as part of their daily life to now come to a place where the word activism is seen pejoratively or negatively yes. shows the tremendous transition in the mm -hmm. culture to the, to the negative. It's mm -hmm. a negative transition because it can't be stigmatized. You can't be stigmatized as an activist. An activist is someone who's raising questions, issues, and hopefully suggesting solutions. Right. And you Gathering know, information also, which well, is so important. And educating. Yeah. And, and I yeah. think a lot of what we're, again, talking about your, your friend Steve, who yeah. called in earlier, yeah. when he's talking about with the soil issues, there can never be too much beauty. There can never be too much music, right? right? But there also can really never be too much information. Right. And as a progressive, I abhor the cancel culture because, right. because to me, it not only fosters polarization, right. but what it says is we know all the answers. No one knows all the answers. Mm. Let's hear people speak. Right. Let's hear people speak. I don't care what position they start with. Let's have the dialogue the chief was speaking about. And that involves people from every perspective. Yes. And, and giving people the respect to say, you're part of the human community. What is it that you'd like to contribute? Now, if all you have to contribute is I hate this group or this group's horrible or that, or, then, you know, that's what you have to contribute. It's not helping us get anywhere, Or, or, really, li or lies. You know, we were talking earlier right. about the lack of media coverage. The fact there's less newspaper coverage, less mm -hmm. local coverage, and, you know, this social media replacement with, right. you know, misinformation that's out and out wrong, you know, that people end up consuming and incorporating into their way of thinking about things is, is difficult. It's, it's difficult. difficult, but it only can be cleansed by more conversation. <laughs> it, it's not going to be effectively cleansed yeah. by saying, I know you're lying, therefore I'm stopping you from speaking. Right. That's my no, point. No. I mean, I'm not arguing that there's a lot of misinformation. Yeah. We know there is on many subjects, but yes. it's not going to be the solution for you to set yourself as the arbiter or for me to set myself as the arbiter and say, well, here's the truth. Right. I, I think you have to persuasively present information which will convince people that, <laughs> that what's being said is not accurate. Right. So, so you know, go ahead. Okay, so we're, you know, we're on Tough Times with Louie Young. I'm George Patanovic. I'm here with my guest, Michael Sussman, uh, attorney, civil rights, and uh, constitutional law attorney. Uh, we welcome you to uh, call in to participate in the conversation. The phone number is 845-429-1700. We're coming up on a break, uh, and, and we'll, so we'll meet you on the other side. But before we do, uh, we're going to play a song by Hozier. Uh, called Nina Cried Power, okay, uh, live at L Windmill Lane Studios in 2018. Let me see if I can uh, get this one on the line. Great song. Okay, here we go. Here's Hozier, along with Mavis Staples. It's not the waking, it's the rising. It is the grounding of a foot on not for going up the lights, not the opening of eyes, it's not the waking, it's the rise. It's not the shade we should be past. It. It's the light and it's the obstacle that casts it. It's the heat that drives the light, it's the fire it ignites, it's not the waking, it's the rise. It's not the song, it is the sea. It's the heaven of the human spirit ringing. 
AM 1700 WRCR Haverstraw. Okay, we're back again. Uh, this is George Patanovic. I'm with my guest, Michael Sussman, attorney, uh, civil rights and constitutional law attorney. And we're here discussing activism. Uh, why is it important? Uh, what do you feel you've accomplished with activism? Uh, what, what have you learned? Uh, we'd welcome your phone calls. If you'd like to call in, the phone number is 845-429-1700. Well, we covered a lot of subjects. Um, well, go ahead. Well, I think that one of the things that hasn't been discussed is some of the work that you've done here in this county and mm -hmm. what, what's inspired that. You've, mm -hmm. We're near Stony Point. We're not in Stony Point. Right. You've been the head of space for a generation. Yes. Uh, you know, we've collaborated on occasion in your work, and I remember during the Patriot Act time in 19, 2003, you were one of the first communities that invited me here, and we mm -hmm. did something at a library, I believe yes. it was. <laughs> on, we go back a while. It was a long time ago, yeah. 20 years ago. I, but, 
you know, you've galvanized people on and off, I think. There have been successes. There have yeah. been times of more drought, perhaps. Yeah. But why don't you talk a little bit about that experience and okay. what it's meant for you? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, um, we started the Stony Point Action Committee for the Environment, known as SPACE. I'm the president of SPACE, was co-founder uh, in 1990. So it's been 32 years. And during that time, um, SPACE is... One of SPACE's main goals is to encourage people to participate in local government, to be informed. Uh, we try to gather information and share it and, and ask people to take an active role in attending meetings. So we've been attending meetings over this time and, and land use mainly, land use issues with the planning board and the town board making decisions on zoning uh, changes and such. And, uh, and, and it's inspiring to me because... Uh, to see people actually attend a meeting for the first time or stand up and speak at a meeting to me is the greatest form of satisfaction. And I put a lot of hours into this. You know, my wife sometimes asks me, what are you doing all this work mm -hmm. for? And I guess, you know, I had a fortunate enough to have an eighth grade social studies teacher who happens to still be a good friend of mine uh, who inspired me to think about this. This was in, uh, you know, uh, at a time in 1968 and 69 when the country was going through a lot of issues with uh, civil rights and, and the war in Vietnam and many other things. And to become aware of, of what was going on in the world around me at that age made a big difference uh, to me personally, which I never forgot, you know. Okay. And, so one of the things is how have you sought to bring, if you have sought to bring younger people into the discussion. Right. I mean, again, Stony Point's a fairly built-out community. Yes. It's a largely middle-class, perhaps upper-middle-class community, I would think, in yes. large measure. And, and, you know, one of the things is we're here as people our age, you and I are about the same age, yes. and we're, the world is for young people. Yes. I mean, we're, we're right now, we're not necessarily on, the, on our way out, but we have to be cognizant that, you know, it's, it's for others. Right. How yes. has that worked here? Have young people gotten involved at all? Not, not as much as I would like to see. Um, you know, uh, it's difficult, and it's difficult to get people in general involved. I think with COVID going on and uh, people have a lot of things on their, on their minds, it's not always easy for them to focus on these issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's, uh, these are important issues. And, and we have a caller coming in. Okay, let's take the call. Go ahead, sir. Yes, we have a caller coming in. Uh, who's, who's on our line? This is Reverend Billy here. Oh, the Reverend Billy's here. Okay, good. Well, we had planned to uh, run one of uh, Reverend Billy's Earth Riot radio podcasts, and when he offered to come and speak live with us on the radio, I had to say, great. Uh, welcome to the, to the show. Uh, Reverend Billy is the, from the Church of Stop Shopping, and uh, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the way that you see your type of activism as being an important part of this process, Bill. Well, we're in the time of the sixth extinction. We have an accelerating, spinning out, evol evolving natural world. Uh, and in our culture, here in the West, but specifically in the United States, we keep finding ways to minimize the importance <laughs> Of you know, right now in India and Pakistan, it's 120 degrees, and they haven't had any rain in months. In Antarctica, it's 70 degrees, too hot. That's Fahrenheit, of course. Mm -hmm. This is this is happening all over the world. Here, we find a way. We're so super commodified. We're so super consumerized. Mm -hmm. We find a way in the United States to package it and make money from it. Mm -hmm. So, where does most of our entertainment money go right now? It goes to the apocalypse. It goes to the extinction as 
performed in these Marvel Disney blockbuster movies, mm-hmm. as performed in video games, apocalyptic video games. So we find a way to take what's happening and turn it into a product. Mm-hmm. That's a dangerous thing to do. We, in, our, in the Church of Stop Shopping, we have started a, an extreme gesture. It's a, a new institution. <laughs> it's, it's an extreme gesture Earth. coming from you? <laughs> it's a, more extreme than, than your usual protest. It's called the Earth Church. Mm-hmm. The Earth Church is in the uh, East Village of Manhattan, Lower East Side, East 3rd Street and Avenue C. Yep. And uh, it's 5 o'clock tomorrow, 5 o'clock on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And we gather there right next to, it's, it's, it's an it's, it's a, uh, unrented bank branch that has been given to us by a, a supporter. Mm-hmm. Until it is rented, we, we'll be there. It's been there. It's been empty for a while. And so we hope to be there a while. But the position of the, the address of this church, as we're foaming at the mouth and praying to the natural world and, you know, making up our music and uh, dancing around. and Well, a, f- a couple blocks away is a park that is being cut down. A thousand trees have been cut down mm-hmm. in the East River Park. Exactly. And that's mm-hmm. been in our show week after week, so mm-hmm. I think that maybe some of your public knows about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're right next door now. Mm-hmm. And so we can just go from the from the church and go right down into the trees. And so our protest at this point involves the secret life of plants. Mm-hmm. We're trying to take another step uh, from your average environmental protest. We're trying to take another step and actually bond with the the physical life around us to mm-hmm. to, to come into the trees and. Trees. Now we know that they talk. That they, mm-hmm. they that they have communications. That they have communities. That when a great grandmother has been reduced to just a root system underground, they will shoot sugars at that root to keep mm-hmm. her grandmother alive. Mm-hmm. We know that that we're discovering that much of nature is intelligent in ways that even we can understand. Mm-hmm. So we're we're trying to get in touch with with the earth directly now. And that, I think, is the only way to beat capitalism. I think the only way to outflank this killer economy that we have that uses the earth as an extraction, as a resource, the only way to get, get started up again is to take, take the sacred, take the faith, mm-hmm. believe in the earth. Mm-hmm. And, and once you do that and you protest, once you believe in the earth, mm-hmm. you, you don't have that old protest problem of am I brave enough to do this mm-hmm. or am I angry enough to do this? <laughs> well, you know, Reverend, I, this is Mike Sussman. We haven't had the pleasure to meet, but good to listen to oh, you. Oh, hi, Mike. How are you? I have a, a kind of insight and, and sort of question. We had Chief Perry on from our, our local uh, oh, indigenous tribe, the Ramapo Nation here, speaking a few minutes ago. And, oh. and you know, he's a, a wise man as well. And, and I think one of the issues that I, I didn't take issue with him when he said it, but it's it's an interesting way of formulating it, especially in juxtaposition to what you're saying. He talked about we're close to a tipping point or at a tipping point. Mm-hmm. And I think that rhetoric is media rhetoric which masks that in many parts of the world, including in many parts of our own nation, we have way past the tipping point. 
<laughs> we have we have all sorts of extreme weather events which are clearly linked mm -hmm. to climate change or to taking communities, taking lives. I had a daughter who lived in Lake Charles, Louisiana for several years. She moved down there and she she came back in November of mm -hmm. a year ago, a year and a half ago, and she came back because literally every every year the whole community was destroyed. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I mean yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah. So for many, many, many people, when you're talking about how to get in touch with things, they're in touch with them, not by their own choice, but by dint of what we've done. Mm -hmm. And this is already exacting huge tolls on millions, as you point out, in India, Pakistan. Mm -hmm. But those aren't the only places. There are places in our own country where we have over and over again excesses of weather, which are creating extreme conditions of fire, of flooding, of hurricane, of all sorts of things. And so it's here. It's not going to happen at some other point. It may be a question of when it'll happen in Stony Point. That's an issue. But it'll happen. It will happen. So <laughs> it's, it's not, you know, how are we going to motivate people? One question of real interest to me in terms of this capitalism and your statement about that is, is this. When is it that people are going to appreciate that something fundamental does have to be changed and that change generalized through our society. Mm -hmm. Different forms, different forms of self-sufficiency, different economic forms, different ways of using resources, of creating food, on and on and on. When will these be pervasive enough, these mm -hmm. insights, to really start making a big difference? Making the change that you spoke about earlier. Yeah. And I think that's the issue. And you're, you're speaking about a specific event down in the Lower East Side. I'm very aware of it. I was asked to be the lawyer involved and, and couldn't do it at the time. But, but, you know, this is an instance. And what I said earlier is in each instance is everything. Mm -hmm. Each instance manifests the whole degree of insensitivity, the whole degree of, of madness mm -hmm. that we're at. Mm -hmm. You can point to a thousand instances, but they all are about the same thing ultimately. Yeah. Yes. That's good preaching. Mike, Father Mike. Father. Thank you, brother. I, I'm going to send my two kids who live on the Lower East Side down tomorrow's Mother's Day, unfortunately, so they'll be with us. But, uh, you know, I'll send them to your church because they're right with you. They're true believers, and they live within five, six blocks of where that church is down on the Lower East Side. So I'll send them and their friends to help. But I, I'm just, you know, I'm just, what's the mentality? In other words, when people have gone through these extreme events, like many Americans have, millions mm -hmm. of Americans by now have gone through mm -hmm. this. Yes. It's not a stranger to us. It's not in the future. Right. It's Stop talking yeah. about it. It's going to happen. It's, it's happening. happening. Okay. Right. Yeah. Thank you. And what I'm wondering about is, is it changing anyone's mind? All I hear is we're going to rebuild. Meaning we're going to do the same damn thing we did before. Yeah. And <laughs> and, <hope it's> <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm like you. I'm, I'm uh, fascinated and haunted by the question of what happens between the 2,000 tornadoes we have every year now mm -hmm. and our everyday life. What? Well, mm -hmm. Why is this? Why is our critical mass of normalcy so strong that? You can have multiple Hurricane Sandys and, and just get up in the morning and have a stiff upper lip and go out and have that same life again right. and, and do the same thing over and over again, single-use plastics and gasoline and all exactly. the rest of it. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and it's, it's, it's fascinating and scary as hell how resistant consumerism is. Mm -hmm. we, I don't think that – I don't think that – I don't know if this is any comfort, if this throws any light on it, 
I don't think that we ever understood or appreciated how strong the hypnosis is that we're involved in here mm-hmm. with this avalanche of products that are sold to us every day. But let me let me interrupt you uh, for a minute. Let, let me interrupt this point because I think this is a really important issue that you're on. But let me just make a comment about that. I live in Orange County. George lives here in, in Rockland County. I ran for county executive of our county 20 years ago, 21 years ago, and George has been deeply involved in the affairs of his county for more more time than that. I think it's fair to say that when you drive around Orange County and Rockland County, other than a city like Spring Valley, other than a city like Newburgh and perhaps parts of, of Middletown and Port Jervis, the vast number of people seem to be living in lovely homes, with tremendous <laughs> amount of material possessions mm-hmm. satisfying their needs as they see their needs. Their children go to schools that, well, well I may not think very much of them. They think that they're perfectly acceptable, mm-hmm. high-level high, high level schools. So the, the point I'm driving at is that for many, 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 many people, this methodology, mm-hmm. <laughs> this culture, seems to be succeeding day to day. So their inclination is, their proclivity is, okay, if something happens, we'll adjust it along the edge, but we certainly don't want to make any radical change to it because who knows what the hell that is. It's socialism. What's socialism? Blah, 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 blah. So I think we have to confront that, and I remember you know, feeling that very much when I ran as a change agent 21 years ago. I'm trying to change basic things in this county. For most people in the county, they like it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They like it. They're comfortable with it. So we do have to confront that heavily. And I think the answer to some extent you were beginning to address, and I want to hear you again on this, is it's not sustainable. The answer is, yes, maybe it's good. Maybe we don't attack it. Maybe we don't say it's not good. They think it's good. Mm -hmm. But it's not something we can sustain in any responsible way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Can I I speak here? Yeah, go ahead. in, in our little group of 30 people, we, the church has stopped shopping. Yeah. We, we uh, with this earth church that we've started, we've taken the position that we have to go farther into reinventing, revolutionizing the basic psychological positions of Americans. Mm-hmm. Instead of having the environmental movement's usual approach, which is, which is information-based, mm-hmm. litigation lobbying and legislation it's it's been the same thing for a long long time good graphics it's marketing it's it's lots and lots of money yeah they're very big ngos are very rich uh instead of 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 kind of trying to persuade people by way of traditional middle class um language and numbers Mm -hmm. go way outside and say believe in the earth Believe in the earth. That's, that's, that's your religion. Believe in that tree. What do we know about that tree? Lately, we've discovered in the last 10 years or so, it's become general knowledge that trees talk to each other, mm-hmm. that they communicate, that they, they, they have energy that flows through the branches down to the roots and back to the branches instantaneously. We don't even know how that happens. We can't explain it. And what is that energy? It could be feelings. It could be opinions. We have no idea. It's another world. But it's highly developed. And, and let's believe in that. Let's take that as our belief system. Let's pray to it. So we're, we've got 500 trees that we're trying to save down here. Yeah. 
And we're just, we just stand in front of the trees, and we talk this way, the way I'm talking to you right now, to a guy with a chainsaw who probably lives up in Rockland County. <laughs> <laughs> and we say, look, this tree is, is, is a, a holy thing. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a living thing. It's thinking. It's looking at you. It's, it's discussing with the other trees what's going on. You don't believe it? It's been proven already. You have to, you have to, you have to graduate past that chainsaw. And by that time, by the time I get to that point in the uh, two weeks ago when I was arrested, I got about that far, and that chainsaw turned into a gun. And that was the NYPD, and I was in handcuffs. And, th- and three of my fellow church members were too. And the whole time we kept singing, "Beautiful Earth, Beautiful Earth." You know, it it it's it's it's, it's about applied magic. It's about practical magic. And so we're we're saying. No, we have, to, we have to demolish and reinvent and replace our basic way of doing things. Mm-hmm. We have to be that radical. So usually people throw around the word radical, and it's usually another system of the economy. You know, it's, another, it's an alternative economy. That's the most common use of the phrase. We're talking about radical radical. <laughs> We're talking about, like, reinvent yourself to such an extent that you change your entire approach to your physical environment. That's what we think is necessary right now. Amen? Yeah. And Am I preaching? <laughs> you are Everybody preaching. Give me an earth hallelujah. <laughs> Give us an earth hallelujah. You know, the, the trees, not to mention plants being of medicinal value, but also trees themselves in terms of decarbonizing the environment are thought of as being a major factor in reducing the carbon impact by trees. Trees, um, the process that they go through of, of decarbonizing the, uh, of, of our uh, environment. So it's, they that's, play that's, an important part. At the distance of... of once again, using, you know, the, the, the tree doesn't work for us. I see. The, the, yeah. idea, the idea here is, yes, yes, of course. But they have value. I guess what I'm trying to say, they trees, have value. Yeah. Yes, they have value to human beings. Of course, they always did. Mm-hmm. Who, you know, uh, the, uh, who, who, who cut down more trees than Americans? Mm-hmm. Go west, young man, and cut trees as you go. Mm-hmm. We did that. You know, and, and nobody anywhere has done that kind of taking of energy from the earth until the amazon cutting, cutting down the trees of north america is just an outrageous project but 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 now i'm saying look at that tree and start talking to it mm-hmm. listen to it i mean start over start over excuse me <laughs> radio radio george carlin seven words <laughs> right yeah um yeah you're right um well, you know, it's hard, it's hard for people to put their mind around a, a tree having language, um, probably not a language the way we understand it, but uh, certainly uh, they're integral to other that, trees. We're passing called hippy-dippy. We don't, we don't care. Yeah. Let's just keep singing and parading around the village, and, and, you know, crazy people can join us. But we don't think the environmental movement is working. I just got back from Glasgow, you know. The, the, we had 25 uh, Stop Shopping Singers. We're in Glasgow. At the, at the International Climate Conference uh, sponsored by the United Nations, COP26. And we had performances, we led parades and workshops, and, and we just we felt firsthand how weak the Sierra Club is, mm-hmm. how weak Rainforest mm-hmm. Action Network is. You just, you just stand there and you just feel that traditional middle-class approach is not working, is not working. So you have to have some tough words there. Some of my best friends work for those two NGOs I just, I just, I just insulted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but w- what we have to do now is we just have to really, really call ourselves 
on our on our own lives. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you know? I, I think that... we're, we're 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 living the, in luxury here. Mm-hmm. We've got to change completely. We've got to change our minds, our souls. We've got to find a way, not with drugs, but with loving the earth. Mm-hmm. You know, find a way to walk outside and just reacquaint. With, the, with existence. You, you, you use a number of, un, of what we call unconventional means for protesting, uh, whether it's the civil disobedience or other types of protests that you mentioned. Uh, in talking about this as far as uh, activism goes, uh, what have you found, uh, what have you learned, and, and what have you found to be, uh, what you've learned to be most effective in terms of, of attracting people, not only attracting people's attention, but to, the, to build a greater understanding of the issues that you feel uh, they need to understand? Well, you know, we always have we always have an object right in front of us that we're trying to change. We always have something on the ground activism that is, that is not highfalutin. It's not, uh, it's, it's not all over the place. It's right in front of us. This, this has got to happen. We cannot spray Roundup, Bayer, Monsanto, Roundup. We cannot spray the toxin glyphosate in the New York City parks anymore. Right. That's right in front of us. That's right in front of us. So what do we do? We go up into the offices of the Parks Department, the biggest Parks Department in the United States. We go up in there, and we jump around on their desks and sing songs, and we get thrown out by the cops. Right. Then we go to our friends who are sitting in front of the city council, and they're wearing suits, and they're lawyers, and they're doing things in the contained, you know, manageable personality that they have. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we ask them, do you want activism? Do you want disruption? Mm-hmm. And which is... You know, how our nation started, It's how we abolished slavery. I mean, this is an old American tradition of just upsetting everything, hurting no one, mm-hmm. disrupting everything in sight. You know, that, that's what we do. And we do it with singing and praying. We do it in a way that, that make, makes people smile and tap, tap their feet. Right. You know? <laughs> There's humor there. We right. do it that way. Yeah. We, have, we have another call coming in, but I want, I want to thank you for calling in and, and giving us a personal interview uh, on the radio. And, and I want to thank you for all the work that you're doing and, and, and the work you do with your uh, podcasts, which we use uh, weekly. And um, thank, you for, thank you for that. I understand we've been having some problem getting... The, uh, the radio show out to people today. Uh, have you received it from us? Um, we, we didn't look today, but we had the last show lined up for number 12. But uh, we'll, we'll be looking for it for next week, certainly. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank, you very, <laughs> thank you very much. Have a oh, great man. rest of your day. Okay, we have a caller. Uh, it sounds like we have a caller that called in. Uh, who's on the line? This is Harriet. <laughs> oh, hello, Harriet. How are you doing, Harriet? I'm Harriet, doing and tell us, tell us where you're from, Harriet. I'm from Dobbs Ferry, New York. And, and what, and what, and what um, brings you to giving us a call? Well, I, I really thought that the radio show needed to take a deep breath. Right. So I'm calling to say, let's take a deep breath, because we're getting into areas where it might not be so helpful, because it really has to do with each of us as individuals. I mean, various people have said this over and over again. Mm-hmm. Each of us can really make a difference. Mm-hmm. The thing is that really is a problem is that a lot of these ways are not particularly ego-gratifying mm-hmm. because they're very small acts. Mm-hmm. And the problem is the ego mm-hmm. because you can do every day. You can change your life. You can do less loads of laundry. You can make less trips in your car. You can cut out meat. You could eat less meat. You could plant more. Mm-hmm. You could take care of your trees. They're small acts, but they don't necessarily get any attention. Mm-hmm. 
And we don't need that attention. We just need to be able to contribute and sort of put deposits in the humanity bank. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to lose our humanity. I mean, yes, all this is happening. But I'm not holding my breath waiting for government or waiting for other organizations. I'm just taking the power I have to do what I can as an individual person Mm -hmm. in whatever small way. And I do it in a larger way, which George happens to know, because... Mm -hmm. I have an art project called the Receptacle Project, and I've been collecting positive messages for the world. Right now it's for Ukraine, and that's my contribution to the world. I'm not sure what's going to happen with it. I just feel compelled to do this because it's my way of being an activist. In other words, everybody has something to contribute in a different way. Sometimes it's talking to your friends. It could be writing a letter to the editor. It could be calling up your local elected officials, but something. something And they can be very small small ways that don't get any attention, that you might not get any accolades for Mm. it. And that's what we need to do is be selfless in that way and not let our egos get in the way. Because Mm. the conversation was getting kind of ego-driven there. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, this is why... This is what happens. People might start out with good mm-hmm. intentions, and their ego gets in the way, mm-hmm. and they start to get a little bit of power, and then they want more. And a lot of times that can just cloud over the issues. So what mm-hmm. you're doing is trying to get more attention for yourself, mm-hmm. but you're not actually accomplishing helping the earth, helping the world, helping each other. Yeah. So I'm just calling to say, you know, we need to do what we can do even if it's on an individual basis. But I've, I've really learned a lot today because the words galvanize. It's helped me understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Thank well, you. I think, I think what you're saying is consistent, really, with what George and I, this is Mike Sussman, nice to meet you. Um, you know, consistent with what we have been trying to say, that, that there's no magic bullet and there's no formula, and that each person can contribute. And sometimes those contributions... <laughs> because of their creativity or their novelty, get promoted in a way that's different from the everyday. But that doesn't in any way take away from the kinds of what you call small acts that make a difference. And they do make a difference. And I think if they were generalized and we understood the need to generalize them, they would make more of a difference. So I appreciate your, your message. And I do think that some of the grandiosity and some of the grandstanding um, is to some extent counterproductive yes. because it, it takes attention away from the need to do those small acts and marginalizes them and makes people feel they're not necessary. That's right, and it's, and it's sort of like, it's like you start out doing good, but you fall into the same traps as yeah. the people who you're fighting against. And so we really, it's, it's all of our battles against our own egos. Yeah. Well, and so, just like, a, it's just, it's, there's a Buddhist nun named Pima Chodron, mm-hmm. and she says in her books, take the blame into yourself. Right. And that's it. It's not really blame, but you do what you can. Don't use anything else as an excuse. Do what you can on whatever small level it is, because if you're putting something positive into the world, that's your contribution well, in whatever way it is. Well said, Harry. Thanks Thank for you calling, for calling yeah. in. Nice to speak okay. with you. Thank you. All Good right. job. Okay, bye. Okay, so I'm George Patanovic. We're here on WRCR with uh, Tough Times with Lou Young. We're here with Michael Sussman, civil rights and constitutional law attorney. We're going to be taking a break, but before we do, we're going to play a song called SOS by Will I Am, who was a member of the Black Eyed Peas, and we're going to see if we can get this started here, and we'll see you on the other side.
help us out. Send us an angel, help us out. SOS, help us out. Looking all around and watching the world. People killing, people dying, people lying, people blind. People don't see the sign. Watching money all the time. Get the pennies, get the dimes. Get the dollars is the mind. State of the human race, people on a paper chase. The environment is fragile, and we've been on the gradual. Declining in a lifetime, we'll lose the battle. Get burned by volcanoes, get blown by tornadoes. Cause Mother Nature signals is trying to warn NATO. We got a new terror threat, it's called the weather. We're deadlier than chemical and nuclear together. It's hotter in the winter, even hotter in the summer. Jesus or Buddha, somebody come and help us out. Lord, come down and help us out. Send us an angel, help us out. SOS, help us out. Looking all around in the Martian Open up your eyes, you can see things in your brain, Jimmy. People trapped behind the gates, ignorance, it is state of mind Cause they formulate a plan just to penetrate us You see they stimulate us with fear, manipulate us Each year they dominate, dividing us like calculators And we can't add it up cause calculators do the math for us And here they come chopping down and chopping down the rain for us For air for us, they don't really care for us And we can't complain because the only one to blame is us The gas is rising up, but we keep on filling up CO2 levels got the whole planet heated up It's blazing in the winter, even hotter in the summer Muhammad Jehovah, somebody come and help us Lord, come down and help us out. Send us an angel, help us out. SOS, help us out. Looks like we ain't gonna figure it out. Lord, come down and help us out. Send us an angel, help us out. SOS, help us out. Looking all around in the watching the world. Changing. Open up your eyes, you can see things in your When the Eskimo gets bit by a mosquito, somebody in Miami will get swept by a tsunami. Rosses in Jamaica will get hit by a quake that registers something like 8.8. .8. You see, a situation's happening with our planet, because 20 years ago, we took it for granted. We should have took advantage and reversed the damage. Instead of just pumping and selling and slanging the gas, and while we purchased the gas, we was watching soap operas while they steady brainwashed the masses, because they could make a vehicle that runs off ashes, but they don't own a patent for that, and that's exactly what's happening corruption in politics the planet's gonna die because of politics it's hotter in the winter even hotter in the summer and ain't nobody coming to the rescue to help them
was Will I Am talking about an SOS and someone looking to help us out, a member of the Black Eyed Peas. Um, we're coming into our last half hour and we'd like to talk a little bit about um, public involvement. We, we touched upon it briefly about how the public can become involved and there's really two main avenues for the public to gain information. Not that you have to be an expert on anything, I think asking questions, going to meeting and asking questions is an important part of the process too. So I don't feel that if you want to participate, you have to be an expert on a subject. I think going to meetings with questions is just as valid as going there with the information. But it is important to get facts and do your research if you do make statements regarding a subject. And I, we have two ways of doing that. One is we have access to meetings through the open meetings law, which uh, means that local governments or other governments have to publicize when meetings are being held to make them available to people accessible and such in advance and the other way is through the freedom of information law which allows you to access documents that the government contains so you have you have a right to access and read the information instead of having to guess what the information is you have a right to request it and that the local government has to then provide you with those documents so those two factors to me are very important space has used them over the years as a way to uh, not only gain the information ourselves, but to share that with the community through our social media and through our websites. So we want to talk a little bit about the open meetings law. Uh, Michael certainly knows a lot about that through his work, but also that the, uh, the changes to the open meetings law that have recently been enacted that not only pertain to in-person live meetings, which of course is the way we met up until uh, 2020 when we went virtual, but that the laws in New York State have actually been adjusted now to accommodate virtual meetings where people can view meetings from home. Well, if space happens to believe that people should have that right to not have to go down to town hall, but because of busy schedules, not only because of health issues, but because they want to be able to access the meetings in a more convenient way. So the government, the town, I'm sure the New York State laws have been changing now to, a, to accommodate uh, open meeting access for remote meetings as well. And ask Michael if he has some thoughts about these, these um, the open meetings law itself, but also the amendments that are that are yeah. currently being enacted. Well, I think by way of disclosure, we should make clear. Some of the people listening may know that right. you, we did file a lawsuit actually right. on your behalf several right. weeks ago, right. which is in federal court. Yes. My law firm did represent and is representing you. Right. We've known each other as we said well before that, right. but that lawsuit in a way gives us a, a starting point which we can discuss publicly and mm -hmm. it would be interesting to because it kind of gets to some of the issues mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I think that the, the most critical issue is, is that that lawsuit raises is this a government entity does open meetings virtually and it, in, in your town Stony Point meetings were being broadcast virtually mm -hmm. and individuals would go to the meetings as you went to a meeting mm -hmm. and as others went to meetings to speak at those meetings and what was actually happening there is that the public comments that you and others made were being cut off mm -hmm. from the virtual broadcast yes. and therefore the public couldn't hear what you as a citizen and other residents and citizens were speaking about in terms of town government and how if at all these were responded to. You said a minute ago, ask questions. We mm -hmm. both know that many times at public meetings, public asks questions, the board takes the position they don't need to answer the questions. Right. Exactly true. Or they won't answer the questions. So <laughs> it's not always the most effective means of proceeding because mm -hmm. the government doesn't feel obliged in any way to answer. In fact, mm -hmm. there's often a dismissive tone taken against mm -hmm. people who come and ask questions, which is <laughs> tragic and unfortunate. I've seen that before. And I'm sure you've seen it, and I'm sure you've been the butt of it. But the point remains that... In, in, in this town, and as an example, it's mm -hmm. not the only town that, that did this, perhaps, although mm -hmm. we don't, I don't know of any others that did it. Mm -hmm. uh, although I was at a meeting two nights ago where it happened in, in Middletown, New York, at a school board meeting, apparently. Mm -hmm. 
there's an editing process mm -hmm. going forth so that the, the presentation made available to those participating in and listening person. virtually oh, virtual. is different than what they're hearing in, in the meeting. Right. So someone is speaking at the meeting, mm -hmm. and they're able to speak at the meeting. Now, the other part of this is people virtually being able to speak and participate. Mm -hmm. It's one thing if you're at the meeting and speak, but the people who are virtually hearing mm -hmm. get cut off from you. You right. get cut off from them. Mm -hmm. It's another thing if people who are virtually want to participate in the meeting, they're not allowed to participate in the meeting, right. which has also gone on. Right. Well, which we started off, of course, back in uh, March of 2020 when everything went virtual. Uh, we had Zoom meetings where the public could actually participate from home and be heard uh, by the by the town board, uh, which was running the meeting, as well as the other pe people right. that were watching it virtually. So that did work as a, as a virtual participation from home. And, and, and it's technologically perfectly feasible. Yes. And, you know, there are town boards, and your town supervisor happens to take this position, who claim that the need to censor members of the public so that, that they don't say something which may be offensive to someone else or some group is a sufficient basis for curtailing the people's right either to speak or to hear. And that strikes me as... Preemptive. Uh, it's it's preemptive, but it's also pretextual. Yeah. Pretextual means it's an excuse. Yeah. I mean, I think the fundamental issue here is the extension of discourse, especially in a time like the pandemic where people are otherwise had been and are still to some extent rather isolated. Mm -hmm. What you don't want to create is an environment where people can't communicate with each other and hear what others have to say, mm -hmm. because when they speak at a public meeting, they're cut off from everybody who's listening. Right. That, that just doesn't make sense. It's not good government. It's not the way to run a society. It's, it's no. kind of... Well, Michael, this is your area of expertise, of freedom of speech, constitutional law. Let's, how does that relate on a local level when people want to participate in their own town hall meeting? Well, we may, we may need some law changes in New York State. I don't think it affects your particular case, but for example, just as an example, mm -hmm. you know, George, that town boards in New York don't have to have periods of public participation. Right. There's no compulsion of that. Mm -hmm. And the First Amendment hasn't been interpreted to require a public body dealing with the public's business mm -hmm. to open up a period of time to allow the public to speak. That seems to me wrong. Yes. yes. Now, that's how it is in New York. Currently. So we talk about, yeah, that's how it currently is, even with the amendments that you're speaking about, mm -hmm. which are, are before us. So I think that there are, and I don't understand, quite honestly, why government would not feel obliged to listen to the people at a public meeting and to understand mm -hmm. that public meeting to be a forum where people mm -hmm. could listen to each other. Right. You know, whereas my supervisor thinks it's an opportunity for the public just to address the board and not the other people in the room or in case of virtual uh, people watching virtually. To be shut off altogether yeah, to be in shut that off case. Altogether. Yeah. And, and I don't understand, you know, I spoke earlier about the cancel culture, which I oppose. Mm -hmm. As a progressive, I oppose. If you have a right-wing point of view, fine, come speak. Yeah. I don't have an issue with that. Right. And, and, and vice versa. Com communication. Right, and discussion. I think that's what we're speaking about with government. Remember, you know, we're talking about the government as if it's not us. The mm -hmm. government is paid for by us. It is us. It yeah. represents us. It's Absolutely. not something different. That's yeah. very significant. Very important. And therefore, for government to say we're going to curtail people's ability in our community to speak to each other, when else are they going to speak? Where else are they going to speak? At the supermarket? There's no more public square. No. The public square are those meetings. Mm -hmm. And th that's true whether those meetings are virtual mm -hmm. or whether those meetings are hybrid or whether mm -hmm. those meetings are all in person. Mm -hmm. 
So I think we have to demand really some significant changes still in Albany. I don't think Albany's done its full job here. But all government, and I was a member of a town board, all government has a desire to hide what they're doing. And you mentioned that the, the local government, you said correctly, that they're not required to have public input currently as part of the agenda. But when they do, That's right. they're required to allow people to hear the meeting in full, not edit it or cut, cut off portions of it as selectively as... That's uh, right. I think these changes make that very clear, mm -hmm. that there can't be that kind of selectivity. Right. Uh, that, that, and I think historically people thought they had the ability to do that. They clearly don't anymore. No. But, uh, statutorily. Yeah. And whether they've constitutionally they ever had that ability is a different question. Our case is going to test that. Yeah. And, and Stony Point's reaction to all this, uh, the, the filing of a lawsuit, was to completely now not have any virtual transmission of meetings at all on Facebook so that public at, that is at home uh, who cannot attend the meeting in person for whether it's health or business reasons or other personal reasons now cannot really attend the meeting. So that that's, that's now the town has decided to cut that at, that avenue of communication off completely. And I think this is something that we learned and can continue to implement from the pandemic. And I think it's an important point. The pandemic was an mm -hmm. event that has some discreteness. At some point, we'll declare it over. Mm -hmm. But we did adopt certain ways of doing things in, mm -hmm. in many institutions which are useful. Mm -hmm. Video medicine, for instance. Yeah. For many people, we, th that was un almost unheard of before yes. the pandemic, or very rare. Right. Now it's become much more common. Right. For some people, not all, it's very useful. For simple. Uh, right, yeah. exactly. And when you're talking about the law, I have Zoom meetings with clients. I right. never had a Zoom meeting before the pandemic, but right. if someone's calling me from Albany, and I have a client in Albany, you know, rather than come down to Goshen. And use a lot of gas. And, and That's the point. That's what I was saying earlier. There are ways of synchronizing this and understanding mm -hmm. the connection. Right. And the importance of it. Yeah. The, so, yes. And for government now to say no to these virtual meetings, when the virtual meetings allow many more people to understand and participate and speak, and now to say we're shutting that off, why? So you have to ask the question, why? Mm -hmm. What's the problem? Now, I personally believe even in the school systems, there are students, and this is more controversial, I know, but there are students who benefited, there are many who didn't, mm -hmm. but there is a, a small number, perhaps, a small percent, who significantly benefited from the, what they viewed as the less distractible situation than being with 20 or 30 kids in a class. They're virtually by themselves. Their parents are supervising them or whatever's going on, and they do better. Or they have physical or other issues which they can more easily accommodate without going. So now school is shame. No, no virtual, no virtual. So rather than benefit, rather than benefit from from what we've learned, we turn our backs on it and act like, well, we need, you know, let's just curtail it. And mm -hmm. I think that's really wrong. So, mm -hmm. I think in terms of the subject of public meetings, again, we have to come back to first principles. The right. first principles we want to do something which will allow the most people to be involved, right? Involved whether they're as listeners, that's a form of involvement, or as speakers, and give their position. That should be a first principle. Mm -hmm. What will facilitate that? I don't think that's radical. No. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't understand why that's radical. And yeah, the Zoom meetings were a godsend in my view because think about our isolation if we didn't mm -hmm. have those for almost well, over two years now. You know, the fact that we had access for education, for business, as you mentioned, for your business, many, many aspects, medical. I mean, there were so many things we were able to do that we would otherwise have not done because we were kind of forced into doing it, but now they could become part of our normal that's right. way of doing things. The better improvements that's right post-pandemic we, we could see the we could see the need for for both 
being being modulated yeah. and being used together, rather than again throw one all together out okay. because it's not part of what we used to do, right. or it's not necessary anymore. Right. You know, with it. So that's one thing that I think you know is important. The other thing that you'd mentioned right. wanting to speak about, which is very very important, but right. has gotten unfortunately very very little publicity, right. is an upcoming May twelfth hearing, which is really again talking about the public's right to participate and yes. understand of the state. Climate Action Council. Mm -hmm. Now, for those people who have not heard about this entity, two years ago, mm -hmm. two years ago, mm -hmm. New York created a multidisciplinary state action climate council mm -hmm. called State Climate Action Council, CAC, I'll call it, <laughs> make it easier. Mm -hmm. The CAC was charged with studying New York State's energy production and energy use and coming forward with concrete ideas on how we could, in fact, meet standards, designated benchmarks, which would allow us to significantly reduce carbon and methane emissions in our state. Mm -hmm. okay, that was the charge. This group got off to a very slow start. For a year, they did almost nothing. Mm -hmm. And I was in Albany and others were in Albany screaming and yelling, where the hell are you? We're in an emergency here and we created this body and you're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. But in the last year, they got moving mm -hmm. and led largely by Robert Howarth, a brilliant scientist from Cornell, mm -hmm. but many others, they have come forward with a set of plans. And it's worth just reading to mm -hmm. the to viewers, I think, mm -hmm. listeners, sure. some of these benchmarks. And they say, by 2025, 6,000 megawatts of distributed solar energy and 185 trillion British thermal units on on-site energy savings. By 2030, 70% renewable energy storage, including 3,000 megawatts of energy storage and a 40% reduction in emissions. By 2035, 9,000 megawatts of offshore wind. And by mm -hmm. 2040, zero, which is six, 18 years, 100% zero emissions electricity. Mm -hmm. Now, what they tried to do was to come up with a plan that was actually implementable. In other words, these scientists and other government folks and, and private sector people came up with a plan which they thought could actually be implemented. That's what's important here. This is not just pipe dreaming. This is, we have the technology to do that. They're in part informed by the work of, of a gentleman named Ingrafia. Ingrafia is a scientist at Cornell who was one of the leading, leading pioneers of fracking, mm -hmm. but who turned on fracking, realized it was being misused, and now has been focused on how we can really make conversion to an energy efficient economy which is not dependent on carbon. And a lot of the thinking, I believe, is, is Anthony and Graffi's thinking as well. So there's a whole group of scientists in our state who've been really working. And they're going to be in our region mm -hmm. on May 12th at 4 o'clock. They're going to have a hearing at the Peekskill Paramount Hudson Valley Theater to discuss mm -hmm. their scoping plan. Mm -hmm. And the scoping plan is intended to give detail to these proposals. Uh, it's a very expensive proposal. It involves private investment over a period of time, as well as government and federal government investment. Mm -hmm. But it leads it leads us in a direction, finally, which may have some viability. Mm -hmm. And there was an article about this recently in the Journal News, uh, LOHUD, which you can look up, but also the, the website is very easy <clears throat> to actually see a copy of the plan. It's climate.ny.gov. So by going to that uh, website, you'll see the... Uh, the climate action draft plan, the scoping plan that Michael mentioned is going to be discussed uh, at the public hearing on uh, May 12th uh, in Peekskill at 4 o'clock p.m. And the other thing that's important when you read this, you'll see that they don't just have one way of getting to these objectives. They have three or four different methods that they propose. 
I think, as I've said on this show, and Lou Young has been here mm -hmm. on other occasions, what we need to be looking at, and California is actually looking at this right now, is how to create sustainable communities. Mm -hmm. Have units, whether those be counties, cities, towns, that themselves understand what they can do internal to those communities that meet their energy needs and the energy needs of those businesses and communities there. What kinds of wind, what kinds of solar, what kinds of installations of hydro can they actually implement in those communities? Mm -hmm. We're not, this plan does not do that. It does, it's centered on the state qua state, not mm -hmm. smaller units. Mm -hmm. One of the things I'm going to say when I go on the 12th is that maybe we need both Maybe we need a, a planning program and process which focuses on local units of government and what they can do just to make this more, as you started talking about, open government, yeah. more discussed in yeah. the community so yeah. it gets clear that people, as you were, Harriet said, can take local responsibility, individual responsibility toward reaching these goals yes. and not see it as so abstract. Right, exactly. Yeah, the thing is that I'm sure there's a cost associated. Was this something that we voted on in a bond deck? And then they talk about 10 jobs for every job lost. So there'll be an economic benefit for going this way as well. Well, we know that in the conversion economy, and this is part of the Green New Deal too, and this right. is what Bernie Sanders and Cortez and others were speaking about, there's a tremendous number of jobs that have to be created in the production of solar, wind, right. hydro power. It's right. not simple. You turn on a switch. Right. You have a huge amount of infrastructure that has to be constructed, of course, mm -hmm. as well as with electric vehicles mm -hmm. and what has to be done to, to, to in, in a sense, make our society compatible with mm -hmm. those. So, yes, job creation is critical. It's a big part of it. All right. Well, that's good. Well, uh, we hope people can attend that meeting. Um, come prepared if you'd like to read about the, uh, the, the plan, the scoping plan. Go to climate.ny.gov. And uh, even if you want to go to listen, it's good that the meeting is happening on May 12th because I believe it's within the comment period, which extends a little longer. So you'd have time to actually submit written comments after that date as well. Right. So I think one of the things we, we should summarize, because we've covered a lot of territory yeah. and, and, you know, yeah. space has been doing a lot of work. And we've talked yeah. about some of that work. Yeah. But for people who want to get involved locally and are inspired to get involved, how do they get involved in space? What right. do they do? Well, you could send me an email, you know, uh, we have a Facebook page, uh, which we post a lot of information on, but you can send an email to stonypointer at optonline.net, uh, and I will certainly respond to you and put you on our mailing list, which we send out uh, regularly about when town meetings are happening, uh, what kind of events are going on, to share information and to share news. So that's a good first step, and I certainly will tr try to provide information to you, or if you have a specific concern about an issue in town, I uh, would also be w willing to reach out, or you can call me at 845-429-2020. So I, I think it's also important, that's terrific, and I hope people will join you and, yeah. and help sustain and strengthen space, you. which has been a really important local organization. Yeah. I, I also think that one of the things I wanted to just end with is something I said earlier. I am a lawyer. I haven't been speaking really much as a lawyer today, but the law does support and is here to support environmentally oriented organizations and activists, even individual activists, who have causes that need attention. I think it's important to understand the orientation I have, which is not to supplant you, but to right. work with you, right. and not to try to tell you this is the way it, it, it should end. Mm -hmm. That comes from people in the community, but try to help you and use the law to help you and other activists meet your goals, Thank and you. I think that's an important point. Yeah. I want to thank you. Uh, Michael Sussman, uh, attorney, uh, offices in Goshen, New York, Sussman and Associates, uh, constitutional and civil rights lawyer. I want to thank uh, Kevin Thomas, who's been on our board, engineer uh, for, us, for the show today, uh, Reverend Billy for calling in, and to especially thank Lou Young for 
uh, for allowing me to, to sit in the seat this week, and all of our guests that called in. Uh, we're going to end the show on uh, a song by Marvin Gaye from 1971 off of his What's Going On album, Mercy, Mercy Me. Thank you very much, and look forward to next Saturday, every Saturday, uh, Tough Times with Louis Young from 1 to 3 p.m. every Saturday. Thank you for listening in. Take care, everybody. Take care. Thank you.